0: You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herd's here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And we are here in our final week. Full spoilers on the table discussing Benjamin Stevenson's Everyone on This Train is a Suspect. Only one of them is a killer. It's true. (laughs) Kate Evans, it's wonderful to have you back once again.
1: Very nice to be here with this book that, uh, you know, you're giving so much attention to rather more than... I would have. <laughs> so, you know, you're forcing me to pay attention in a way that is very robust.
2: I'll tell you what, now that you've had three weeks to sit and simmer over, is your opinion changed? all? Oh, you feel a little bit warmer towards it? How are you feeling? Well,
1: yes, because I'm enjoying your enthusiasm and oh. the way that you're responding to it. And, of course, if I had interviewed the writer, I would be thinking about it in a different way as well mm. um, because then you get insights into how mm. something's written. But I still stand by the fact that he is being a bit too much of a smart ass through this oh, yeah. entire book. Fair I'm sorry, Benjamin. The thing
0: is is I I feel like if you write a book like this, you have to be willing to accept that that's just how some people are going to read the book because it is so particular. I feel I feel it's very similar with Solari Gentile's work. Ever since she started doing Metafiction, she's been saying something to the effect of, you know, three and a half to three stars on Goodreads is about where your book's perfect because it means it's interesting enough that some people are turned all the way off.
1: <laughs> I think hers is a bit cleverer. Sorry, oh, Sorry Benjamin. Oh,
2: wow. Yeah. Whew,
1: that's <laughs> impressive. <laughs> oh, with, it's son of war. It's not quite as wise cracking. I guess the the wise cracking is starting to wear a bit thin. <laughs> you know, we've been in the pub too long, and it's like we've got all it's your jokes. <laughs> You're gonna how many more jokes? Mind you, things do get serious and get quite dark you, you, in this you didn't last like section.
2: The fake speeding train chase. Where Actually, we... <laughs> I do like
1: a chase scene. I have to confess, I do quite like a chase. He said that
2: it wasn't a real chase because the train just stops, and he like he's on the front of the car. He's trying to make the jump, but they just stop, so he just gets off and walks up to the train.
1: Well, and being on the GAN, I mean, being in the middle of Australia, I mean, that's also worth thinking about, given given how often crime fiction on trains has been elsewhere and yes. has been moving across Europe. So four points for that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's really clear from this book that Ben Stevenson came in very clearly trying to respond to the first one in a lot of ways. So for example, the first one was set at Juliet's ski resort in the Australian... Quote unquote Alps. And this one is in basically the furthest possible place that it could be. You know, in the first book, one of the jokes was that it was a locked room murder mystery where a storm came in and no one could escape, but several people just leave partway through the story. Whereas this one, you'd have to jump off a moving train, which urn does, but.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, there's an interesting thing going on there, too, that Ern realizes that once the cop gets on the train, once it's the second murder happens, And they say, well, why can't we just get off the train at this point? You know, Juliet got off a couple stops back or the last stop back. And they realize, oh, we're not going to stop because the cops don't want to let anybody off because the killer's probably on the train. They don't want anybody like running off. They want to get to to our destination so we can get everybody in a room and sort all this out.
0: I mean, I do also like that Hutch as a character, even though he's presented by Earn as being above the foibles of detective fiction, still very much is is trying to play murder mystery detective and then he's like yes i'll just lock the killer on this train which
2: which is an easy solution yeah. and definitely will work it, it's it's Except if it doesn't <laughs> it's right? a
0: very very weird bit of subtext that
2: i didn't expect this book to cram in right at the end i mean it's very callous as well because of course as we see during this stretch of chapters now that you've locked the killer on the train with everybody and they have nowhere to go when you expose them, they're like a cage animal. They don't have anything else to do but to fight back.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's effectively where we go with this stretch of chapters. Yes. Is that we do have Urn come in and give his on, which every author on the train tells <laughs> Hutch does in fact have to take this long.
2: Yeah, which was, they say unanimously. I think was awful. my
0: singular favorite joke in the book.
2: There are a lot of good. There are <laughs> good, a lot of good lines in this book. I think my my favorite was when Urn figure. We'll get into this later, but Ern figures out the ghostwriting aspect of this story. Mm-hmm. And he says, this was not my finest deduction. And it's because he's only made half of a correct deduction. He's not actually correct. I love those little turns of phrases. Well,
1: should we explain that though? What's yeah. going on with the, Absolutely. the ghostwriting? Yeah, let's do it.
2: Jasper and Harriet modoc they're two characters who are not part of the illicit authors on the train. But we find out halfway through the novel that Jasper is a writer, but seemingly not very successful. He married his reviewer, Harriet, which is again a seemingly unimportant detail.
1: There's also another slightly odd moment early on when um, he meets McTavish, the Scottish writer who is the first character to be murdered. And it says something like, you know, he's a self-published author, which many of us who get sent book reviews, your heart sinks when you hear self-published author. Mm -hmm. But then either he or his wife says, and he's sold as many books as you have, McTavish. And you think, that's an awful lot for it's a, a lot. self-published yeah. author. Yeah. And so later on, we discover that in fact, he's a ghostwriter mm. who is actually writing the McTavish books. Yeah. He has been writing them for quite a while. He mm. obviously writes them well. There was this terrible moment when he went and introduced himself to the author who was very dismissive and just sort of wrote, yeah, to Jasper on a, a coaster. On a coaster. Yeah,
2: which is terrible.
1: And, you know, it was sort of, it was dismissive. I mean, did he know the name of his ghostwriter? Was he just being a pain in the ass, which we sort of know he is? Mm. And that's when we also see that his incompetence as a panellist comes through because Brooke, his superfan, asked him some details of the plot of his book and he got things wrong and oh he gosh. forgot what was happening He, he got his, his characters. Two, he
2: got his two books mixed up because it's like when the night falls and when the dawn comes and even I, I can't actually remember, I'm sure Flex knows which the order is Don't supposed to be. Don't throw me under the train. <laughs> I already have. None of us know what all of the books go in, but neither does McTavish. Yes, neither does the author. You know, it's supposed to be this two-part finale to his character Murdoch's story. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know it's a finale. Only Wyatt and and, and Brooke, his super fan, and obviously Jasper know, you know, what's going on there.
1: But, you know, something that we slid past that's quite important in there is saying that this character, Jasper Murdoch, married his reviewer. Mm. And so she had done an initial review that he was very upset about and then he met her and then she came to realise that he actually was a very good writer. Yeah, because so she,
2: she wrote – I'm going see your thunder here. How dare you? She, she's wrote the review for Jasper, but she also wrote the initial review from Mac, for McTavish, which is that it's it's undefeatable, unputdownable. McTavish is peerless – Credited to the New York Times, and that review written for McTavish was written by Harriet. So when Jasper sees, you know, you've said that McTavish's work is perfect. Well specifically she's trash.
0: She calls him an echo of McTavish that like he is just trying to be someone who he is not.
2: And what is a ghost if not an echo of a former life? Yes. Uh the ding this is a great we got we get a lot of puns in this series. But yeah, this is the thing. He he points out to Harriet this obvious Internal inconsistency, and she goes, "Wait, you're McTavish," and he goes, "Oh dear," <laughs> you know. <laughs> but then they marry. It apparently is a, a lovely, romantic thing for them, which is great, and they lived happily ever after, right? Until, Until... Harriet
0: went farming in Tasmania
2: for poppies.
0: <laughs> yeah, can 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 I say I. <laughs> I honestly really enjoyed that one of the linchpin clues in this story was a deus ex machina delivered by an untimely phone call as Ernest climbed on top of a train. (laughs) Like, it is deeply silly that Andy's, his uncle's fake detective agency, off swindling this poppy farmer in Tasmania. We haven't
1: even mentioned it, just how ridiculous this particular subplot is, but yes.
2: (laughs) How do you even introduce it? That's that's the
0: question. If it wasn't introduced so early in the story, it would be the weirdest deus ex machina.
1: (laughs) But the other thing that happens is that we discover exactly what has gone on in McTavish's life and what had happened 30 years ago. And this is where the thing that you know, made me stop reading the book the first time is actually revealed, which is McTavish as a rapist, the woman that he'd raped, the child that is then a child of that rape. And it's a shocking story, but again, it sort of skated over and then we move
0: on. Well, it's interesting because one of of the ways that I felt that it wasn't skated over is the way that it sort of Penned Lisa Fulton in, in that she'd had this horrible thing happen to her, and then all of these powerful men came in that isolated SF majors. And this sort of like wedge that gets driven between these two women who have fundamentally an identical interest in showing that McTavish is a predator, even though the book doesn't say anything about it because I don't think Ernest is a competent enough Mm. protagonist to do that. I really appreciated the way that it showed how those wedges are driven between people in need of help.
1: And then, of course, this child. And the child is Brooke, the supposed superfan, and somebody who is looking for a father. And that is a terribly poignant thing. I mean, you can sort of see that young woman being disappointed.
0: You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. And we are here once again talking with Benjamin Stevenson, author of Everyone on this Train is a Suspect, about that book. We'll jump back in to the conversation where we picked up with full spoilers. Past me, take it away. Wanted to talk a little bit about constructing sort of the web of this like toxic masculinity that coats the main plot of the story also wrangling with ensuring that that was dealt with sensitively because obviously the way that toxic masculinity manifests in the book through McTavish's actions and the whole cover-up is really intense. So how do you manage that sensitivity while still having that be a core hook for the main mystery?
3: Yeah, I think the honest answer is you've just got to do it as best as you can. You've just got to make sure that you're not manipulating any set of people or perspectives for your own kind of means. And one of the things that I wanted to do with this book was the way in which the men act in one of the plot lines. If I didn't include it, it would have been more disingenuous because then it would be like, hey, corporate politics is all fine and there's no sexism. And so it's like, I can't not include the misogyny of corporate politics. So then how do I include it respectfully? You know, I try and sort of balance it, make sure it's not kind of sensationalist, Mm. that it's grounded and then it comes across as convincing. And then, of course, I'm a mystery writer. You know, these things do need to feed into the plot and they but things feed into the plot better when they're from realistic characters. But really it came down to with that plot line with McTavish and and the – which spoiler level are we at here? Full spoilers. Full yeah. spoilers. The way can... that Wyatt, McTavish yeah. and Royce work together, yeah. Yeah. if I hadn't have included, included that plot line, I wouldn't have felt confident that I'd best represented any industry, not the book publishing industry, mm. any industry which is run from the top down by white rich men. So I wanted to make sure that that was – in there because it is it is an important part of a lot of characters' journeys.
2: You also obviously go out of your way to lampoon authors who try to act as though their novel is the pinnacle of philosophy or truth-telling or whatever, which is appreciated because... You know, it, it, it tells us what kind of novel we're reading, I suppose. Yeah, uh,
3: w- well, you're reading yeah. the pinnacle of philosophy and truth. Right? <laughs> obviously. That's, that's, Alan that's,
2: Royce is yourself. Is me. It's, it's me. a self-insert character, obviously. Look, they're
3: all me. They're all part of my own ego. They're no, all – sure. I'm not uh, infallible to the author's uh, insecurities. So, you know, Alan's obsessed with blurbs. McTavish is up himself. You know, um, everyone's sort of striving someone. That's a different part of every writer's ego. It might be 1% for some. It might be 50% for others. But they're all in all of us. So in terms of representing perspectives, yeah, they're all
2: me. They're all your own perspectives. that's quite easy to speak from. I mean, that all makes sense to me.
0: I mean, one of the interesting things is that in the first book, like the Cunninghams, one of the reasons as well as what you say that they stuck around is kind of because they just are as a collective so stubborn. And then also the writers in this book also have this sort of stubbornness that comes from their genre savvy. And they're like, well, if Ernest did it once, he might do it again. And I could get in ahead of this. Exactly. Like, do you, do you think that like stubbornness is a key ingredient to a good closed circle mystery cast?
3: Stubbornness? Yes. Narrow mindedness, I think. You need people to be singly driven by whatever they each want. So Lisa and Brooke is still on the train because they want the manuscript and they haven't sort of found the manuscript. Mm. Royce is still on the train because he wants to beat Ernest to it. Wyatt's still on the train because he thinks he can get money out of Jasper. Jasper's still on the train because he's doing the new deal with Wyatt. And Simone, well, she's trying to give Ernest puzzles so that she sort of helps to solve it. So the only person who doesn't want to be on the train is the only one that leaves. So, yep. yes, yep. narrow-mindedness, stubbornness is, is very important in sort of assembling everybody and making sure that they making sure that they move through the plot in a way in which is convincing, a.k.a. keeping them in the locked room, but also is convincing in terms of whatever they're trying to do, it makes it look like they would kill for it.
2: Mm. Mm. So I have to come clean. We've alluded to Juliet a few times through this discussion, but she is the focus of my absolute favorite scene in the book where Earn proposes to her in the worst possible way, crossing his detective and romance subplots in a scene that just should have taken a break from clue hunting into uh, like his agent suggested. I'd just like to know how inevitable the train wreck was to you, pardon the pun.
3: I think it's inevitable. Everything Ernest does is an inevitable (laughs) train wreck. I think one of the things I really love about these books is, and this one in particular, there's multiple characters to do it, but Ernest has a kind of competent incompetence. So then I was like, well, the real thing to do here is to have them have a falling out. Now, how do you have, have them have a falling out without just making them fight over nothing? And the solution to that was that, Um, you know, it came to me sort of in that flash. Ernest down on one knee saying that he missed her last night and then stopping and thinking, where were you last night? And turning a proposal (laughs) into an interrogation.
2: So everyone on this train has a lot to say about the -the behind-the-scenes trauma that goes into the career of a well-established writer. And in effect, our killer, Harriet, is the ghost of a ghost writer she's practically blending into the scenery why did you feel the need to to write this novel highlighting the issue of credit in your work and as we discussed the whole acknowledgement section is like a microcosm of this and does earn do more harm than good in exposing it
3: yeah great question the issue of credit is not the way i would phrase it the word that I had written on my laptop screen was I have one post-it per book that I stick on the laptop screen. I don't have like red cord on a, on a, on a cork board. I just have one post-it note in the synopsis, which I work of. And the post-it note for this book was legacy. Yeah. So it's about what you're leaving behind and your legacy, which feeds into you know the credit for the work. Use my name as well. Use my real name. Your real name is legacy that That's what, that's no, what no, Jasper no, that's says what on the Jasper, train. Oh, sorry. If he yeah. says on the train, he says to use his real name. Well, which exactly. I, I exactly. didn't
2: understand when I read the book first. Anyway. So what do you <laughs> leave behind?
3: What what? you know, all those kind of things in the book where he says a book is not a book until it's read, a legacy isn't leaving your fingerprints on something, it's having people leave their fingerprints on you. And even when he looks at McTavish's body getting taken off the train and he thinks this is the legacy of the famous writer, it's not his books, it is his body in a black plastic bag. So what are we leaving behind? What is left behind for Ernest out of the family that died in the first book? I have many other questions, but I think that like in terms Uh of how far we are through and... You got anything else you want to cover before we wrap
0: up? I really up?
2: enjoyed listening to you tell me that it was legacy and not credit. That was fun. Yeah.
3: I love, I love. I mean, look, they are objectively the same things, but I'm just telling you like the, the, the word. But this that, is the
2: right one. This one's more correct. No, I
3: just thought you might like the insight on no, the no, actual no, I, word I, that we do. I have. Look, we we do. do. We
2: love it. I love it because honestly, if I could get every author who comes into this radio room and talks me about their books and be like, this is the one word. Then I wouldn't have to read their books. Here's the key, right? So. Here's the key.
3: <laughs> and this is, you guys will do this because you guys are very, very good at picking the ends of novels. But Thank you. If you can figure out what a book is about, you know the ending of the book, right? Mm. Yes. So you don't yes. know the book is about, well, not you, the royal reader. <laughs> hopefully they don't know the book is about legacy until mm. the book ends. And that's why when Juliet tells the epilogue from her perspective, it's the legacy of her and Ernest sharing a story, mm. you know, he's learned to open up his own legacy to her. So, but you don't know that until the end. If I gave you the book and said this book is about legacy, you would know that Harriet is the killer because you're reading to the theme and it's going to match the theme. I think I think one of the other interesting things about that is that like for us as people who go to
0: writers festivals, I think for both of us, Herds, we saw the cast of characters and we're like, okay, five
3: authors, it's a writer's festival. They're all authors. If you want to solve a murder mystery, if you can figure out what the book is about, then you'll solve the book. For sure, for
0: sure. Your lesson for the day in solving murder mysteries, from Benjamin Stevenson. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. It's so good to
3: actually have you in studio after all these times we've had you on the show. I know, right? And not... (laughs) you know, eviscerating me in front of a live audience. I can't remember. You asked me a really curly question at the festival and I was like, Did I we? didn't answer that well enough. Now <laughs> is my chance to reclaim my intelligence. <laughs> no, it wasn't a difficult question. Which question,
2: question was I can't that? Remember.
3: I think remember. I think I just answered it badly. And, <laughs> oh, you know, man. it's just,
2: you I know,
0: didn't
3: get that impression at any point
0: for you the go record. Off after yeah, we all, all thought you go, were oh,
2: perfect and dreamy something. and all that stuff, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
3: That's, that's the word for the next book, dreamy Dreamy That's the one word so. It's just a
2: totally egotistical like Let me tell you about myself and my life yeah. Oh god That's what the, I want no, from you Because
0: then, then you set up the expectation the entire time <laughs> That the book is going to be all a dream And you have to find some way to subvert oh, that Oh you're to subvert it That's nightmare It's,
2: gonna be, it's gonna be one person writing the other That's what it's gonna be
0: Oh no Anyway, <laughs> you're listening to Death of the Reader We are talking Benjamin Stevenson's novel Everyone on this train is a suspect uh, Happy New Year by the way Woo! It's, uh, it's, it's 2024 tomorrow, I believe. Is it really? Good oh my gracious, goodness. How did that happen?
2: How the time flies.
0: You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. We are here talking Benjamin Stevenson's Everyone on This Train is a Suspect with Dr. Kate Evans of ABC Radio Nationals, The Bookshelf... Review season is up next week and it'll be super exciting to dive back into everything we've covered over the past week. But if you've got any recommendations you want to make to us about your favorite books of 2023, whether it was something that came out or something you read, be sure to drop it to us via your social media platform of choice or via the contact page on the website to ser.com death of the reader with hyphens in between each of those. We're going to jump back into the discussion that we were having with Dr. Kate Evans all the way. Full spoilers to the end of everyone on this train is a suspect. Dr. Kate Evans, take it away.
1: I did enjoy the way that the whole, you know, the final bits are revealed in that old fashioned way of somebody bring everybody together well it almost works in that slick old-fashioned way of
2: until the bottle comes out yes
1: yeah so you know he's starting to say and you did this and you did this and this is how it worked and this is how it's all coming together and that is quite sort of pacey and funny and familiar Mm -hmm. and then of course because it is earnest it doesn't quite work but in fact in life it wouldn't work
2: would it? He he calls out in the narration that it was actually very rude of Harriet to pull a bottle on his publisher when he was just about to reveal her as the killer, which is pretty pretty great. <laughs> like,
1: a bottle, as in a broken bottle. A broken bottle. Yeah, let's she's be very clear. To, mm. yeah. yeah, a well, vodka
0: bottle. I I think one of the interesting things about it is that Ernest, as someone who so appreciates the golden age probably, you know, as he says in the narration, wants that to go perfectly. Yeah. But one of the the great issues with a lot of golden age stories is that when you get to the Daniel It's ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous <laughs> and it drags. There are so many stories we have read on this show and I've read in my own time when we get to that scene. It's like, okay, yes, I've been trying to solve this, so I know all of this. Skip, 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 so, skip.
1: Yes, Poirot. Yes. Please do spell it out for us again and show us how you are the smartest person in the yeah. room.
0: And I I thought that despite, you know, being very earnest, Cunningham in the way Thanks that- Steal my bit. Yep. Thank you. How dare you. Uh, in He's the, ghostwriting my jokes. In the way that it, it, it paces out. I did actually think that that was the appropriate time to go, all right, this is dragging, let's move on.
1: Yes, it makes it and, and it also makes it funny because yeah. it reminds us that it is a trope and it is a ridiculous and mannered trope that is so far away. Well, amateur solving of crime is yeah. ridiculous, but it's doing it like that is even more ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And I think the other interesting thing we get into there is that then we have the, the showdown on the top of the train where Harriet's yeah. trying to get away, the kind of cage. Of course animal.
1: it's on the top of a train. Yes. Oh, of course.
2: <laughs> I have no complaints about that. That's where it should happen, on the top of a train. But I Particularly with a sword fight, but, you know.
0: One of the things that that really had me thinking about when Jasper says, you know, like, publish the book in my own name to, to Ernest.
2: Yeah, he doesn't say it in those words to the point that I was confused about <laughs> what he was saying when I first read it. it just, he just says, like, say my real name, and I'm like— Use my real name. Or use my real name. Thank you. I'm, I'm still being corrected. But he says, <laughs> use my real name, and I'm like, what does that mean? Use it in what?
0: Look at, of course, he's telegraphing to earn what he's about to do, which is that he's going he to take himself yeah. and his wife I off mean, the that's, edge of the
2: train. That's super clear. Yeah, he he literally goes up to his wife, gives her a hug, and then they both go off the side of the train. And I, not to talk about the ending of the previous book, but I like the way that Stevenson creates very somber feeling endings.
0: And I guess, Kate, the other thing you wanted to talk about there is, of course, we then have the publisher emails, which we haven't touched on because, I guess, to us having read the first book at the start of this year, it was like, oh, yes, the publisher emails. Of course, that has to be here again. He even tells you where to direct his complaints at one point in the first (laughs) book. And that email does, in fact, work if anyone wants to send Ernest Cunningham emails.
1: (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. It's a real email. But again, this is just part of what he's playing with, which is the writer writing a book, writing a book, and that we're reading it, and then there's the publisher and, you know. Is he obeying all of the rules of this type of fiction? And it's like, yes, with a huge knowing wink or, oh, no, 328 knowing winks at the reader. <laughs> Just a few. Just a few. Yeah.
0: <laughs> One of the things that, like, I felt reading this book is that there is so much stuff in here that if you loved the first book, you're going to love again. And at the same respect, if you were graded to no end by the first book, I hope you enjoy cheese. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, (laughs) Terrible. But I also did feel that the way that this book toned down the metafiction really aspired for a different- This is
1: toned down? Lordy. It is.
0: But one of the things that I thought is that this was toned down because it's got that slightly less cartoonish sense with the, the broader cast of characters. And I felt that in the end, even though it was the same type of metafiction, that- What's good about this book is the way that it is integrated with the core functions of golden age murder mystery. Whereas the thing that was good about the first book was the way that it absolutely threw them out the window.
2: I think that this novel, in my opinion, is not quite as, it's not as intricate as the previous novel, but I do think that there is a lot of fun, particularly with Alan Royce, the risks that we've taken with some of the particular characters and their choices. And I think that in general, the way that we've approached you know, recurring characters and trying to still find stuff for them to do is really interesting. I think that if you, if you can take the time, I think this is true for both of Stevenson's books, that the more time you can kind of take with them to digest them and think about the individual clues and how they may or may not be playing with your soul, I think the better time you can have with them regardless. Yeah. That's how I feel.
0: I guess, Kate, having not read the first one and reading the second one and hearing us talk about all of these shenanigans, would you give Ernest Cunningham a third round?
1: I would probably read a third one, but I don't think I would go back to read that first one. Mm -hmm. But also it's, you know, it's a zeitgeisty book. People are talking about it. It's a book that I felt that I needed to read, even though I did give up twice at page 10. And so thanks to the pair of you, I have read the whole thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that overall the the messaging of like whose story is it, which is the core tension between Ernest and Juliet, was kind of a fun through line that – so much of the story through Ernest and Juliet, (laughs) through Jasper and Harriet, through Lisa SF Majors, and Henry McTavish is about how other people are kind of taken out of their own story. And I like that for all of the chaos of the various plots in this book, it did come back to that one pretty simple core principle. And for like as, as broad reaching as the meta text is, having that straight of a message was kind of fun because usually I get feel like you get to the end of meta text and you end up with that well the answer is yes to everything that we've spoken about a few times on the show
2: oh there is one more thing I wanted to mention I want to say for my own journey in solving this novel which I quite enjoyed I was devastated that I wouldn't get to solve this for the show Uh, we'll talk about my points in a minute but anyway I really enjoyed one of the very first things that we're told is that there are Six or seven riders, seven, six, however well, I mean, six riders on the train doesn't matter. It's not the important part. It's
0: on the back cover. It anyways.
2: doesn't matter. I'm not going to read it. No, and this is entirely from memory. There are an there are X number of authors. One of them will be killed, and another will be led away in chains. And of course, that's supposed to make you think that oh, one of the authors is is a criminal. Yeah. But I, having read the, the previous book, went oh, okay, that means that one of the riders is going off in chains for a different reason. And I really enjoyed that clue.
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I, I think um, I, th- I think the game of like motives and who has opportunity was probably like like I, I think I think it was really strong in this book. I thought that the, the, the mystery fundamentals were there, and the meta text is going to be a uh, if it's up your alley, it's up your alley. But I had a grand old time, and I honestly enjoyed it way more the second time I read it, which is a good thing in crime fiction mm-hmm. to me. It is a very good thing. I'm not going to
1: read it a second time. I am so sorry. I'd never like to be this rude to Australian writers. You have at
0: least half a book more to read each week than we do. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, I think we'll wrap this discussion here. Kate Evans, thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It has been a delight having you.
1: Thank you. I'm sorry. I was so incompetent. How and many a points do I bit, get? I'll be better next time.
0: Well, herds. I'm gonna say. I think you're gonna walk away with three points. On three?
2: This. <laughs> why not? Why not four points? Out of the potential five, because this is my double or nothing. Because yeah, I opposed two different culprits. That's one point. It's two points if you do well on the mystery, and it's three if you but get it's everything. it's the double
0: or
1: nothing
2: round. That's herds. not what it
1: is. Three times two does not equal five. That's... I think you should get bonus points for my incompetence. Frankly. I think I should get
2: four points. but <laughs> You know what, Herds?
0: You can have your four points. Yes.
1: Yeah. Take that, and, Kate and it'll, Evans. It'll
0: go down in history.
1: <laughs> oh, you, you deserve them all. Thank you for not solving anything
2: and for clowning on you. I apologise. But here we go. I'm taking my points. We, we will be back
0: next week on the show with review season, Herds.
2: Woo! We can review all the books we did through the year and tell you why we would recommend them.
0: Yes, it is our chance to take a break for the year. So pick your your summer reading up or maybe go back through the show for anything that you missed through the year and have a grand old time. It's been a pleasure spending 2023 with you and we'll see you in the new year. Five more years. Let's go. Woo! (laughs) Woo!